All right, we're going to jump in the Word this morning to Mark chapter 6. We're going to be in Mark chapter 6 this morning, and we're going to talk about the, the story of the feeding of the 5,000. And I'm going to do things a little bit different. Normally, I kind of do like a, a long introduction and uh, get you excited for the message. I'm, we're just going to jump right in this morning, and, and here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to read verse by verse, and I'm going to probably stop about every verse and talk a little bit in between. So it's going to be like your very own personal commentary on Scripture this morning, uh, and uh, you're going to have a great time, I promise. So let's, let's turn to Mark chapter 6, verse 30, and we're going to read, we're going to get through verse 43, I believe. So um, Mark chapter 6, verse 30, you can follow along on the screen or read along in your Bible this morning. The apostles returned to Jesus and told him all that they had done and taught. Okay, so the first thing we need to talk about here this morning is what are we talking about here? What are the disciples returning from? Uh, where were they? So in, in verse 7, where we left off last week, we were in chapter 6 last week too, and we finished at verse 6. In verse 7, Jesus takes all the disciples and he sends them out two by two. Sends them out two by two. And um, gives them authority to cast out unclean spirits. Now, he sends them out with nothing. All right? Now, this is, this is the ultimate mission trip, by the way. Like, when, when we send people out on mission trips, like, they, they usually have to pay for their airline ticket and stuff like that in advance. And, and we tell them to bring a suitcase. And uh, usually they have, like, snacks for the airplane and all, all that fun stuff. Jesus took a different approach to this mission trip. He said... Go with the clothes on your back and a stick in your hands and nothing else. Don't even bring backup clothes, okay? Like, this is all they had. They had nothing. In fact, he was like, don't even wear two, don't even wear an overcoat. Like, just wear the clothes that you have on your back. He sent them out with nothing. Why did he do that? Well, I'm going to talk about that a little bit more. Um, but um, really, what he's doing here is he's teaching them to trust him. He's teaching them to be dependent on him. They can't be dependent on their provisions for this trip. They, all they have is Jesus, right? So he told them to go and knock on doors. And, and he's like, hey, go tell them the, the message of repentance. You know, call them to repentance. And if they repent and receive you, you can stay there. And if not, what you're supposed to do is shake the dust off your feet as a testimony against them. Seems kind of harsh, right? Like, I just met you. Uh, and, if, and if you don't listen to me, I'm going to basically uh, shake the dust off of my feet as like a curse for you in, in some ways. And so what they do is they go to all these homes. They cast out a bunch of demons, just like Jesus gave them authority to do. They heal sick people, just like they saw Jesus do. And their confidence at this point is off the charts. It's like they just... I mean, they're, it's like they just won the NFC Championship game, and they're going to the Super Bowl. I mean, they're excited. And that what they're doing, this ministry creates such a stir that King Herod hears about it. Now, King Herod is usually down in Jerusalem, although he has a couple different palaces that he's at. And so they're a ways away from him, and he hears about all this stuff, and it freaks him out because he's like, listen, I just, I just had John the Baptist put to death, and now it sounds like he's back again times 12, okay? So he, he hears about this, and he's freaked out, and then it goes and kind of drops the story of John the Baptist's death in the middle of this. And we won't get into that this morning, 
but um, it, it has to do with John the Baptist basically offending Herod and uh, his wife, and um, she asked for his head on a platter. Pretty gruesome, yeah. So um, all this happens, and now the disciples are coming back. As we just read, the apostles returned to Jesus, told him all that they had done and taught. And then in verse 31, he said to them, Come away by yourselves to a desolate place and rest a while. For many were coming and going, and they had no leisure even to eat. So in other words, they just got back from this mission trip, and now people have heard what they had to share, and they're excited about them. They're generating excitement too. And so they followed the disciples back to where Jesus is, and now all these people are around them, and they haven't even had a chance to eat yet. And so this is, this is an exciting time, but, but they're getting kind of worn out. And Jesus says, let's, gonna, let's go someplace quiet. Let's find some place where we can be by ourselves and rest and maybe eat for a minute too. And so in verse 32, it says, And they went away in a boat to a desolate place by themselves. Unfortunately, this boat ride was as good as it was going to get for the disciples. Because in verse 33, it says, Now many saw them going and recognized them and ran there on foot from all the towns and got there ahead of them. I mean, this is chaos, right? So they saw what direction he was heading in this boat, right? The Sea of Galilee is, I mean, it's not that big. It's a couple miles across. Like, you can see the other shoreline from the other side. And so they saw where he was headed in his boat, and they're like, we're going to beat him there, right? <laughs> now, I, I don't know if you've ever been in a situation like this before, but I have, running with thousands of people. It's called a 5K, Okay, like so, they, I mean, they were in a race right now. A couple of years ago, I ran the, the turkey trot in St. Paul on Thanksgiving morning. Have ever, any, any of you ever done a turkey trot before? It's a lot of fun, right? You get up early on Thanksgiving morning and you go and you run about one eighth of the calories that you're going to eat later on in the day. Okay, and so this one was actually a 10K race. And uh, it was starting out, and we were actually late getting to the course because it's in St. Paul. It's a long driveway. And so we were getting there, and um, Laura and I were both doing these races, and I was doing the first one, and she was doing the second one. So she was driving, and she dropped me off, basically, at the start line. So I ran up to the start line, and I got there, and it's just this massive sea of humanity. Like thousands of people in this space, and we're running down this road together, and I remember for the first two or three miles of this run, like 10K is 6.2 miles. And for the first two or three miles, it was bobbing and weaving, just trying to get around people. Because it's like you got like the mom with their stroller that's just walking along. And then you got like some serious runners. And, and if you're really serious about the race and like you have a chance at winning or you're trying to get a good time, you got to get there early and stand there in the freezing cold because you want to be at the front so you don't have to do what I had to do for three miles, and that's ducking and bobbing and weaving around all these people. And I'm just picturing this mass of humanity jogging together to go figure out where Jesus is going to land his boat so that they can ambush him when he lands, right? 
Now, the only thing that's different, like when you go and you run an organized race, like a 5K or a 10K, they have like aid stations along the way. So like a mile in, they have like these little cups of Gatorade that you can drink. And then when you finish the race, they give you a granola bar and a banana and, and um, they tell you good job and they maybe give you a medal at that point. Jesus didn't get any of that, right? Or the people that were chasing Jesus didn't get any of that. They were just like in the moment we're going to get to where this guy's going to be. And so they find where Jesus' boat lands, and now they're crowded around this shore, and 5,000 people show up. Now, actually, what it says in Scripture is that there were 5,000 men. It doesn't even count the women and children that were there. So there were probably far more than 5,000 people in this area along the shore of the Sea of Galilee. And uh, verse 34 says, when he went ashore, he saw a great crowd, and he thought, oh, no, not again, <laughs> right? Like, <laughs> but here's what it says. He had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd, and he began to teach them many things. Now, this tells you so much about Jesus, and this challenges me so much, okay? Because I'm just not this giving, I'll just be completely honest. Uh, a lot of you know this, that if you've done um, ministry before, it can be draining at times. Not physically. It's not like, okay, like we had church this weekend. Oh, man, I can hardly walk. I'm so tired. No, it's not physically draining, but it is mentally and emotionally draining because when you're invested in ministering, when you're giving to people, you're pouring yourself out emotionally and spiritually, Right? You're giving of yourself to minister to other people. And this is what Jesus did for three years of his life, right? It was this constant giving. And you see these moments where he's like, he's exhausted and he just needs to get away. And so here's Jesus. He tries to get away to someplace quiet so he can rest and hang out with his disciples and maybe eat some dinner. And he gets there and there's 10, 15,000 people on the shore. It's like, oh, what am I supposed to do with this? You know what I would say? I'd be like, go away. <laughs> go away. I need a break. But Jesus sees exactly what their need is. What does it say? He saw them and he felt sorry for them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. You see, the problem is the religious leaders at this time were the people that were mo at the highest level of animosity against Jesus. They were the ones that were butting heads with him constantly. Why? Because they weren't doing what he came to do. They didn't have the same heart that he did. He cared about the people, and they cared about their position and their authority. And so Jesus looked at these people, and he's like, the people that are supposed to be taking care of them, the people that are supposed to be investing in their lives, the people that are supposed to be pouring into them God's word and teaching them the truth are not doing that. And so there's this giant hole there. And so he just continued to pour out himself. He continued to care about them. He saw them as sheep without a shepherd. Now, last Sunday, uh, I led worship, which used to be a regular thing for me. But um, fortunately, we have an awesome team, and I don't have to do that very often anymore. And one of the things that I remembered is you forget how hard that is. Like, I mean, you get up in the morning and like by the time I got up to preach, my voice was tired, right? And so I preached and I finished church 
we had an awesome week. It was a great week last week, and I went home and ate lunch, kind of sat down on the couch to relax a little bit, and I get a, a text message from Henry. Henry goes, hey, you going to come play basketball, old man? I was like, well, I wasn't, but now I am. <laughs> so, so I'm like, okay, I grabbed my stuff, and I ran over to Delano High School, and we played basketball, and we had prayer meeting that night at 6 o'clock, and so I was like, well, if I just bring clothes with, I can just shower in the locker room there. Finished playing basketball, realized I am an old man, okay? <laughs> and, and go and get ready to take a shower, turn the shower on. There's no hot water. I'm like, you got to be kidding me right now. Like, I'm hot and sweaty and tired, and I got to go to a prayer meeting right now. And if I go like this, I'm going to stink. So I just got in the cold shower and just was like, ah, you know, like screaming on the inside, not trying to scream outside. And, and I, I finished, and I come to church, and we had an awesome prayer meeting, I mean, last Sunday night. We had a great time. It was a really powerful prayer meeting. When that prayer meeting got done, I'm pretty sure I was the first one to leave. Because by the end of that day, I was tired. Right? And that's a fraction of what Jesus did. Right? Like, I mean, he literally spent hours ministering to people and healing people and, and caring for them. And he tries to leave and, and find some quiet space. And here's 10,000 people. <laughs> and it's like, what do I got to do? <laughs> To get away, what do I have to do to have a break? So Jesus shows compassion on the crowd. He begins to teach them. Verse 35 says, And when it grew late, his disciples came to him and said, This is a desolate place, and the hour is now late. Like, yeah, we found the, a quiet place. They just found it too. Send them away to go to the surrounding countryside and villages and buy themselves something to eat. In other words, Jesus it's dinner time. Like, we got to do something about this. Now, this story of the feeding of the 5,000 is actually in all four Gospels. It's one of the few stories that all four Gospels cover. There's something mentioned in John's account that Mark doesn't uh, mention. It says, when the crowd shows up, Jesus asks Philip, hey, where are you going to buy bread for these people? And, and, and here's what it says. This is John 6, 6. Uh, <laughs> Jesus said this to test him, for he knew himself what he would do. That's a trick question. Like, that's not cool at all, Jesus. Like, he's asking Philip, hey, where are you going to buy bread for these people? Just, just to get him thinking. It was a trick question the entire He knew exactly what he was going to do in that moment. Uh, I don't know about you, but um, maybe... Uh, your wife asks you trick questions at times. For example, I'll give you this one. This is always a trap, okay? If your wife asks you, does this dress make me look fat? You just run. You just go the other direction. There, listen, there's no adequate response in that moment. It is a trick question. It's a trap. Run, right? And so Jesus is, is testing his disciples here. And if you think that, that God doesn't still test us today, you haven't read scripture, right? Talks about tests all the time. We read about the life of Joseph. You remember what he went through, what he endured, the tests that he went through, the refining process that he went through? In fact, um, 
James tells us, consider it pure joy, my brothers, when you face trials and tests of many kinds. For the testing of your faith produces perseverance. The things that you face in your life are tests. They're things to prepare you for what God ultimately wants to do in your life. And so Jesus is, is doing that right now with his disciples. He's setting them up, knowing that they're going to fail. <laughs> okay? And he's preparing them for later on when he's not there, when he's no longer with them. And he does the same thing for us. There are things that you're going to face in your life that are tests, that are trials, that are made to hone your faith, that are testing you to prepare you for what God has for you down the road. So um, here's the thing. This is, this is a problem with any ministry event. We literally plan our events here at church around mealtimes, okay? We think about that. In fact, we did a marriage thing this weekend, and I said we need to be done by noon on Saturday because otherwise we're going to have to feed these people again, okay? <laughs> right? And, and so here's what Jesus says in verse 37. But he answered them, you give them something to eat. And they said to him, Okay, we got 200 denarii. Should we go to town and buy enough bread to give them something to eat? Like maybe everybody could have a bite if we do that. Right? That was their brilliant solution. Like let's pool our resources together and go and spend everything that we have on some bread and maybe everybody will get a bite or two. And he said to them, well, how many loaves do you have? Go and see. So they go, okay, well, that's a new strategy. Let's try that one first. Let's go ask everybody what they have. Let's pile everything together, and maybe we can split it up, and it'll be enough to, to feed these people or at least, you know, have them get to the point where they're not angry with us anymore. Well, they do that, and they come back with almost nothing. It says five loaves and two fish. And when we're talking about a loaf of bread, we're not talking about, like, what you buy at the supermarket now with 37 slices like, that is not the kind of bread that we're talking about here. We're talking about a roll, okay? A small roll. Maybe like a piece of pita bread would be a, a good analogy of the bread that we're talking about in this instance. That's a loaf of bread. It's a single serving, okay? Less than a single serving and two small fish. And so this is what they have. They found this boy that, that had the five loaves and the two fish. They stole his lunch. Not cool, right? <laughs> <laughs> They're like, okay, we can't buy bread. We can't afford to feed 5,000 people. Let's see what we have here. Almost nothing. And so, I mean, like nobody thought to bring bread. This was an improvised plan here. They're like, we need to hear what Jesus has to say right now. Have you ever tried to run a 5K carrying a sack lunch before? Right? Like nobody does that, Okay. They didn't plan to be out there. They just wanted to see what this was all about. Now, here's where I want us to focus our attention. The disciples had just finished this incredibly miraculous mission where they were sent out by Jesus and they were given authority. And, and every situation they went in, they, they saw miracles. They saw sick people healed. They saw demons cast out. Um, they called people to repentance, and they actually repented and believed. And so they get in this place where they desperately need a miracle, and all they can think of are natural solutions. Well, we could pool our resources together and maybe give everybody a bite or two. We could take everyone's food and split it up. That sounds like a reasonable plan. 
Now, if someone fresh from the most powerful ministry experience of their life can't see a supernatural solution to their problems, why would any of us be any different? Especially if you're in a dry season. Some of you, it's been years since you've experienced the miraculous. Some of you would say you've never experienced a miracle before. Now, I'm guessing that isn't actually true. But we have a gift as human beings at being pessimistic, right? And, and we see things and we, we find ways to explain supernatural things naturally. It's what we do, right? Even if we won't say it out loud, we'll say it in our brain. Well, I could probably figure out how this actually happened. Maybe that's just, just a byproduct of being a Vikings fan, okay? Like we're, we're constantly led to disappointment. And so we just assume that everything is like that. But... Uh, Let's keep reading in verse 38. And he said to them, how many loaves do you have? Go and see. And when they found out, he said, five and two fish. And then he commanded them to sit in groups on the green grass. And so they sat in groups by hundreds and by fifties. And taking the five loaves and the two fish... He looked up to heaven, and he said a blessing, and he broke the loaves and gave them to the disciples to set before the people. And he divided the two fish among them all. And they ate, and they were satisfied. Wow. So the disciples were sitting there doing the math, right? And they came up with this equation. No money plus very little food equals crabby 5K participants. Right? They're thinking about the, the situation that they're in, the circumstances that they're in. And they're realizing in their desperation that they don't have what they need. But they messed up the math a little bit. They missed part of the equation. Here's what they should have um, looked at. What you have plus Jesus equals exactly what you need. That equation holds true for us today. Let's read the end of the story, verse 43. And they took 12 baskets full of broken pieces and of the fish. And those who ate the loaves were 5,000 men. Maybe they just mentioned the men because they eat more. I don't know. Let me ask you this. How many baskets were left over? 12. Why 12? How many disciples were there? You guys are sharp. So that led me to ask this question, and I think I have the correct answer here. Who was this miracle really for? I mean, there were 5,000 hungry men there, and I'm sure that they appreciated an incredible meal, and I'm sure they loved the fact that they saw this supernatural experience in front of them of Jesus multiplying the food, and I'm sure it was an awesome thing for them. But this 
miracle was not for the 5,000. It was for the 12. They needed to change their focus. They needed a redirection of their attention. Those people that were standing at the shore, they would have been fine. It's just one meal. They would have been hungry. They probably wouldn't have even blamed the disciples or Jesus. They made the choice to follow him out there. The food was a nice bonus, and I'm sure they were grateful. But Jesus was trying to make a point to his disciples. Hey, guys, don't forget about me. Don't forget about what I can do. What's an area in your life that you need a miracle right now? Listen, sometimes as I'm preparing a message, I I ask myself the question, is this applicable to anybody that's going to hear it? And I just have to trust that the Holy Spirit knows and that it is. But I'll tell you right now, there are people in this church that I'm praying for that need the miraculous to happen. And I know your situation, and I know that you have supernatural needs. We have friends in this church who just recently had a terminal cancer diagnosis in their family. They need a miracle. We have friends that are taking kids from the foster care system into their home. We have friends that are starting the adoption process. We have friends that have health issues and that haven't gotten any answers for what they've been praying for. They don't even know what's wrong yet, but God has the solution. And so as we're praying for these things, we're believing that God can intervene in a supernatural way. And those are all big things. And maybe you're like, oh, my, my stuff doesn't even seem that big or that important. Can I tell you something? If it's important to you, it's important to God. Why? Because you're important to God. And we look for every natural solution to every single problem that we have. We try to figure it out. We try to do the math. We try to come up with a calculation. We try to sort things out. And it's fine to be practical. And it's fine to plan. And it's fine to try to come up with answers to the difficult questions that you have in your life. But can I tell you something? That should not be our first resort. Our first resort should be to turn to a God who loves us. Say, God, I'm trusting you in my situation. You know exactly what I'm going through. You know the challenges that I'm facing. And I believe that you're big enough to give me the answer that I need. And if we believe that he truly loves us, we ought to be willing to turn to him in these moments. just take a second here today and pray for those of you who need a miracle and listen I know I know when I I, this is something that we do pretty regularly that that we give people an opportunity um, to receive prayer and it's like "Ah, I just I don't want to bring attention to myself or I just can't think of anything at the moment or there's a million different excuses or reasons maybe you wouldn't say, yeah, I I need a miracle right now. Maybe you don't feel that what you're asking is important enough for God. Maybe you 
you're just struggling to believe that he's actually going to do something about it or that he actually cares. Can I tell you something? He cares. He loves you. And so if we can stand with the church right now, if we can stand with our brothers and sisters in Christ who need the miraculous, who need God to do something in their life,
and how much you love us. Lord, we thank you that our situation isn't too big or too small for you. But that because your love for us is so perfect, that you meet us and find us right where we're at. So Lord, as we're standing across this room, faith in our clever words that could convince you to do something, but faith in a God who is able and who loves us. So Lord, we ask for whatever that thing is right now that you're putting on our hearts, that in this moment, we're leaning in to the truth of your word and the miraculous power that you demonstrated through Jesus and that we've seen in our lives in the past and that our testimony is filled with your miraculous work. God, we believe that you're the same God today that you were yesterday and you'll be the same forever. So, Lord, we trust this issue to you. Lord, I pray that you would release fear and anxiety right now in Jesus' name over each one of these areas. That, God, as we entrust it to you, we also let go the pressure and the fear that comes along with trying to figure it out on our own. God, we are not able to do it. That's why we're bringing it to you. And, Lord, we're leaning on you in this moment saying, God, you are not only able, but willing. And so we release it to you, God. We cast all our cares on you because you care for us. And Lord, we place our trust and our faith in you today for the miraculous.